Welcome to React Roundup. I'm your host, Jack Harrington. And with me today is Paige Niederinghouse. Hey, everybody. And TJ Van Toll. Hey, everybody. And today we're going to do a, a panelist episode, which I'm really excited about. We're going to talk about design systems. But a few things before we get into that. I did want to do a plug for our Discord channel. So we're really looking forward for folks to come in and tell us what you think about the show. And if you have any ideas, if you like the episodes, just give us some feedback. You know, just jump on board. We're, we're chill. We're easy to talk to. Right, guys? I think so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, usually. Paige is in there. Yeah, you know, Paige, really, she gets on the answers to the questions. It's really good. <laughs> hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there. And we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. The other thing I, I did want to jump in and talk a little bit about, there's been a little bit of a kermuffle. I mean, usually, I've used these old term, old timey terms, like a kermuffle in the React 18 verse, I guess. And that kermuffle is that use effect ends up getting called twice. And yeah, in certain circumstances, one, you have to be in developer mode. And two, you have to be using strict mode. And then what happens is that you in strict mode, what React does is it tests your component, which is cool. And then it does it through a variety of different things. But one of the things that it does is instead of just mounting your component, it normally, like it normally would in production mode or in dev mode without strict mode, it mounts it, then unmounts it, then remounts it. And the idea is they're looking to see if you do any leaks of stuff in your use effect. And for any, if you don't have a, if you, your use effects don't have cleanup functions on them. And so people are, I, honestly a little legit freaked out by this because like it, there's been this thing forever we all learned when we learned hooks if you want to use effect that gets called once at the beginning of the of the startup whatever put an empty array in there and that's it you're good uh mm -hmm. but if in this case no matter what you put in there actually you're going to get called once and then it's weirder too because like when a, when a, a dependency changes that only happens the once right because it's not a mount, an unmount, remount thing like the other thing. So it's a little weird. So, so if you, <laughs> <laughs> lots of questions. I think Paige and I were both about to ask, like, so what do you do? Like, is there, oh, yeah. is oh, there yeah. like, are what they working the, on a fix or? Yeah. Oh, is this no. a bug? Oh, is I, it expected? It, ah, it is very expected. It is. I think it really depends on. Uh, okay, well, okay. Let's talk about the perception for a second, I guess. Do you think it's a good or bad thing? I guess it depends if you, if you really like the idea of, of a strict mode that kind of really checks your your stuff, uh, then that's yeah. great. You're, you're really into it. I think 
if you don't like, if you think that this is a, a contract violation, then you're not, not digging it too much. What do you do though? Right. So I think a lot of folks were using use effects to query data. And because again, yeah. like you do a react one one course and it's like, where do you put your fetch? In React hooks, you put it in a use effect. Yeah. Oh, how else are you going to fetch your to-dos? I mean, exactly, exactly. <laughs> how are you going to get your to-dos? Exactly. <laughs> Slash to-dos. <laughs> yes. So what can you do? I actually did write an article on this. So you might want, I don't know, I hate to plug my own stuff, but we can, I can put it like a link to that as a Medium article. But I think I came up with a bunch of different things. And one was actually just live with it. It's not going to kill you. It's only in dev mode. It's only in strict mode. The other one was you could do an abort controller. If you wanted to actually like do the right thing and return a, a cleanup function, that cleanup function would abort a, an in-flight request. Mm -hmm. The weird thing is when in your network manager, you'll literally like in network panel, you'll see like a red like thing saying, this request was canceled. And you're like, oh, yep. my God. Oh, that's, not, that's not great. I think the cleanest thing to do would be to use like SWR or React Query. Those are two phenomenal packages. You should be using them anyway. Don't do... <laughs> You know that, right? And and actually, Dan Abram also wrote an article on on this, and his thing was, yeah, you, you use libraries like that if you're doing going to do client side fetching, but if you have a chance to, right? Maybe this is a good time to like think about doing server side rendering, and then that doesn't use use effect at all, and doesn't matter. None of this matters, right? You know, because I mean, you'll still get use effect twice, but I don't know what you'd be using a use effect for. Me setting a timer. Or something in that case who cares right you just you want to clean a function anyway so right yeah gotcha. so is the I, I guess this is a way for react to try and help you identify potential memory leaks as well as i mean are they trying to get you to use cleanup of cleanup effects yeah. for That's every exactly use effect is. that you write even yeah. though you didn't think you needed one and the docs <laughs> didn't tell you you needed one. Yeah. <laughs> right, because the docs don't tell you with your little fetchy thing, your fetch to-dos. Like nobody right. ever put, it puts in a, React, in a React 101 course, fetch to-dos, oh, was that an abort controller and a cleanup function? Because they didn't expect that, right? And normally these fetches go so fast, they're done within 50 milliseconds or something and, and you're done. Right. Yeah. yeah, so it doesn't really matter. But yeah, you know, I, I, I yeah, that's what exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to make sure that that resources are cleaned up. Yeah, it's, yeah, good, it's good to know because I did not know that was a thing. So I'm sure oh. people listening to this are probably unaware too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, boy, when you when it hits you when you don't expect it, you're like, oh, I'm just gonna re I'm just gonna go up to React 18. Cool, All right, great. <laughs> Seems to work great. And then you're like, wait a second, hold up. But you actually you not only have to. <laughs> Eh, I guess, but like you not only have to upgrade to React 18, I think you actually have to change how you render, which is probably something you do anyway because it gives you lots of console warnings about don't don't render this way anymore. And then and then you got to go and add on strict mode, which I don't think most people know about anyway. So yeah, I think this happens to most folks who like basically they'll start with a create React app, and I don't know they're on Stack like Stackless or whatever, or they make a one locally, and then they fired up and they're like, okay, I'm going to get my to-dos, you know? And like, <laughs> and then for some reason or another, this weird, this user effect gets called twice, which is a little weird because out of the box, they, the create react app has all, all of the bells and whistles, strict mode and everything else. Sure. And this isn't the only thing strict mode is trying to help you do. It's trying to help you figure out like all of, basically if your components are compatible with all of the upcoming features coming in like react 20. 
So good stuff. Yeah, yeah it is good cool. to know. And we definitely should link to your article because I'm sure people oh, will want to see some code references. So nice, nice call out there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about design systems. How do we want to kick this off? Probably with what are design systems is yeah. the best thing to start with <laughs> and why great. you might want one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So I can start. I'll lay out the the sort of ecosystem. I, I'd say like design system is kind of a like a documented pattern for how you write components and even really entire applications. So it can be things like standard colors to use. It can be standard headings to use. It can even get into more specific components like what date picker are we going to use? Uh, what dropdown are we going to use? How are forms going to be structured in our application? So it, you can take design systems, they can be quite small and just be things like colors and fonts all the way up to an entire way you architect applications throughout your entire enterprise. And there are different levels within that that you can go. But the most the reason they exist is really to help individuals, companies, whoever standardize on the look and feel and the behavior of their web applications, mm-hmm. I would say, in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And if you can't see us, listeners, Jack and I are nodding along because <laughs> TJ pretty much nailed it. It's like design systems are the way for companies which have lots of applications, both internal and external, actually make these apps look and act the way the other ones do so that the users of them have a much more intuitive sense because they've used one they should generally be able to understand how another one should operate. And before this, it was the Wild West internally and externally. <laughs> you would have no idea. And I can I say, that, say this coming from a large enterprise organization. There were applications that you would have no idea belonged to another team within your org because they ah. were just so radically different in their look, in how they worked, just everything. So design systems are a, a, just a, an awesome way to make things more uniform and make it easier for people to use use your applications. Yeah. Um, and there are some some big ones that I think if we say their names, you'll probably start to recognize what we're talking about. Um, Bootstrap is probably the most OG design system slash component <laughs> library that has ever been. Um, <laughs> yes. After that, Material UI is a really yeah. popular one, which I believe was Google. Ant Design is one that is kind of gaining popularity. Chakra, would you say that Chakra UI is one, or is that more of like yeah. a design oh, yeah. no, or a component definitely. library? Okay. Yeah, if you want to get into the the world of the semi obscure, I guess you'd say like <laughs> Chakra Mantine, which is my current little favorite. Although I gotta say, I was looking at Next UI, yet another day, yet another design system, <laughs> at least. Still React components, which is nice. Yeah, uh, is but it's it beauty. Wow, they do a lot of like frosty glass effects. I'm mm, I'm a sucker for that. Oh yeah, um, glass morphism is pretty hot right now. I think. Right, <laughs> and so one of the things coming out of like the, I mean, I know you, you were at Home Depot, right, Kate? Correct. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And TJ, you were at a company do actually building these chair components, and that's. Telerik, right? But that's super yeah. Cool. I've got some some experience on the component development side, but I, and then I also have some enterprise experience from good old mm-hmm. 
auto owners insurance back in the day. So I've, <laughs> nice. I've seen both sides of this. <laughs> yeah. And I was at Nike and at Walmart. And so it's exactly what you're talking about, Paige. It's like, you know, you just you got like 10 teams of developers and everybody's going off. And like, at the very least, you want them to share like a style sheet or something <laughs> so that the fonts are at least the same right. and the sizing is at least. And then, you know, and then you kind of layer on top of that. If you want behavioral stuff that's the same, then you build components or I was strongly recommend actually just reskinning something like material mm-hmm. um as an example like as a good I, yeah that there's a whole bunch we can get into some reasons why i want to do that uh for sure that's a good thing to talk about um and yeah so you, and, and so you can basically just have everything and, and and that would cover things like i18n internationalization accessibility stuff like that so that mm-hmm. you know if you've got a carousel you know, you don't want to get sued because nobody can like move the carousel with a keyboard, <laughs> right? And, and that's a better experience anyway. They can, you mm-hmm. know. So yeah, you should reuse reuse that stuff. And then, of course, getting oy vey, you know, getting developers on board with actually reusing components like like pulling teeth. Yeah, yeah. We could we could tackle this and sort of. Uh, I know we had like good, bad, ugly. Maybe we can. We've been talking mostly about the the benefits of mm-hmm. design systems. Maybe we could transition then into like the how, because I think mm-hmm. a lot of people, the, at least to me, the, the benefits of design systems are pretty apparent, like having standardized things, accessible components. It sounds like a like a nice like rainbow, uh, you know, unicorns. <laughs> Everything's great. And it, it, it is good, like in the end state. But I, I also know that when you're in the shoes of you're just an individual developer at a Home Depot or a Nike or an auto owner's insurance, it can also seem like a very daunting task mm-hmm. to actually make something like this happen. So maybe we should get into some tips of how to make it like how you like if you're starting from nothing, how you should go. And I sort of start to but to start, I would sort of agree with Jack that you don't really want to start from scratch. Um, yeah, like yeah, you probably shouldn't be just like saying file new you know, my <laughs> design library.js and start cranking away at it. Uh, I, I mean, maybe if you're, I did if that you're once. Uh, yeah, <laughs> once, um, once, once, bad, bad idea, just because we're living in a time where there are so many yeah. extremely high quality solutions out there and solutions that are meant to be extensible. Mm-hmm. So you're not taking something and your sites are not all going to look like bootstrap or material or chakra or whatever. Right. These frameworks now have extensibility points. So you can use them as a basis point for your design system, but then make it your own, right? Put in, get your company's brand and colors or your, your designers want to make certain tweaks or if you want to add on components, that's always possible. But you're going to have components that are just, you're going to have to write some new components. There's Every company's got something unique, some special snowflake component that they need to work a certain way. You yeah, can always sure. add those on. But I would highly encourage everybody to use something <laughs> that already exists as a starting point and go from there. Mm-hmm. And that's a great segue of like you get everybody on board with a design system is what your company needs and then figure out what what does this design system have to do in terms of requirements? Because it may be that everybody is building React applications. So maybe you can go for a design system that is just React specific. Or maybe it's an organization that's so large that some people are building with Vue, some people are using Angular, some people are using React. It just kind of depends on the team. So maybe you need to look at something that's more 
encompassing, like either web components, which are supposed to work. I say supposed to, but they are supposed to work across all browsers, all different frameworks, and just kind of be agnostic. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Or you might want to go with a design system that has multiple implementations. It has an Angular version. It has a React version. It has a Vue version. So that's kind of the next step is what, what do we already have or what are we already building our, our websites with? And then what can we get that could work with the majority of these sites? And, you know, the jQuery sites, I'm sorry, just those are probably just going to continue not to look like everything else. But the things that you're building and maintaining and are going to be used, hopefully for years to come, you know, focus on those. Don't focus on the outliers that just use some obscure framework that hasn't been in in season for years already. (laughs) So back in my Telerik days, we we had this decision to make because we had a library, still do, called Kendo, Kendo UI. And Kendo UI started as basically a series of jQuery plugins because it started 10 years ago. And that's what 10 years ago, that's what you did. You built a whole suite of jQuery plugins and you shipped them as a library. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it worked. Like you know, A lot of people built very successful sites uh, with that sort of approach. But about probably I'd say like six or seven, maybe eight years ago, uh, time flies, we sort of had this decision, right? Like jQuery was, the the writing was on the wall that jQuery was sort of, yeah, it's still going to run sites, but for new sites, it, it was already on the decline. So we had to decide, well, crap, you know, can we, there's all these frameworks, but we, we don't know which one's going to win. Uh, React, Angular, Vue, uh, I mean, Backbone was still a thing at the time. There are other, you know, there seems like a new framework every single day. So what do you do? And we ended up making the decision after a while to build different versions of Kendo UI for each different framework individually. So today there is a Kendo React, which is all components written in React for uh, React developers. There's a Kendo UI for Angular, which is just Angular specific. Because to us, we felt after a long time of experimentation that the best developer experience was for components that were built for a specific library. And that if mm-hmm. you tried to make something that's adaptable to everyone, you end up making compromises that makes no one happy. Yeah. Now, I, I know there have been others with other experience, but my firsthand experience is that you'll have a lot fewer headaches if you can build components for just one library. And it doesn't have to be React. If you're listening to this and you're an Angular person, a Svelte person, solid person. I don't know what other <laughs> things are these days. It could be all of these things. Yeah, whatever. Uh, but you should strive, I believe, to build components that are specific to the, the tech stack that you want to encourage people to use more yeah. or less. And that kind of, that's kind of my experience too, on the developer side of using different libraries in an application. When I was at Home Depot, we we first tried to use a web component library that our in that we had an internal team dedicated to building and maintaining that was for all Home Depot applications. We tried to use it with our React app and it was fiddly to get it just to render components in the React Whoa. application. And then it was a nightmare to try and unit test or integration test or end-to-end test these particular components we ended up switching to ant design which is i think they're they not only have react design libraries now they might also have either angular or Vue as well 
Um, at the time, they were only React, though, but it worked so much better in every possible way from integrating <laughs> and setting up like our base colors and fonts and things like that so that it just propagated throughout the application to then testing it and adding on to it or extending it like TJ was saying. It was night and day. So I know that everybody is like really excited about web components and we've been talking about web components for years, but they, at least in my experience, they still had not reached that point of parity with actually using a framework based on the framework that your app is built on. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Well, and yeah. I think that the fact that there are two technologies is the core problem because mm -hmm. it's that's your like classical software problem. Anytime you have to introduce an, another layer, like an intermediate layer, you're just asking for problems. So web components as a technology are not necessarily bad. And if your whole stack is web components top to bottom, mm -hmm. then you're going to then you're you're fine, right? That's the, the core way your app works. But when you're trying to introduce web components into something that's built into React or even Angular or whatever, you have this like communication layer where all your React components have to find a way to talk to web components to render your thing and back up. And these components that you build are oftentimes extremely complicated, like mm -hmm. a, a scheduling date picker, right? Or, or some of these things that drive these important enterprise apps. They're not doing trivial things, right? You're, no. you, this isn't your button or <laughs> your, your simple things. They're doing complex things. And having that intermediate layer that you have to communicate down through for these complex operations, you're just asking for for trouble. And I know I've experienced it firsthand. Paige has as well. It's just the reality when you start to get into these, these complicated things, having this other layer is just a mess. So I want to, on the how side, I want to pivot the conversation just a touch, maybe even more than a touch, to like the like how to get it across teams. Cause I actually, that was what I was tasked to do at Nike yeah. and Walmart was actually like, get it going across teams and whoa, that was problematic. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I would say if you like, just from the, like, the level of like, you need actually some, some executive push. Like I would yes. say you know, one yes. of those two companies that you had literally two different organizations where one had like a heavy handed person from Yahoo who'd been an engineer and da, 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 da. And he was like, I want all of my teams to be doing uh, the same design system. And they're, it's, you know, and da, 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 da. And, and he had them choose which one they, they chose material and they skinned it to make it look right. And it worked great. Right. And, and, but it was, it was like, Hey, I'm not spending money on, on us making a design system here. Mm -hmm. Right. Where the other one was like, kind of like use whatever tools you want. And we got into these endless debates around like, 
why do I need to import button? I can just make button in two seconds. <laughs> and you're like, oh, God, you know, it's like, ah. And so, yeah, the, you really, I would say, make sure that you've got some executive backup on this for sure. Um, and then the second thing is also get buy-in from the design folks. Because, I mean, there's a flow here, right? You've got the, your design folks make the wireframes or whatever, right? And, I mean, come on, man. Like, they, they don't come in responsive. They don't. They, they, there's all kinds of, like, these little purple lines that have, like, oh, 13 pixels from the side, you know? And then you're like, and this font is, like, 52.6 pixels high. And you're like, what is it? And you really want them to, like, actually say this is a button component in mm -hmm. large. That's the contained variant or whatever, right? And there actually are, like, on Figma and Adobe XD and all that, there are, like, I don't know, like, $60 templates for all the material. And you can just, like, drop it in your project, reskin it with your color theme, and then you start dragging buttons around. And, and there you go. And then your, your, your call-out sheet is, like, it's a button, you know, it's not like it's a rounded rectangle, like that happens to look like a button and not, we're expecting the developers interpreted as a button and it really streamlines everything. So if you want to get to the unicorn and rainbow things, I think you need the executive backup and you need to get the design folks bought in and get them working on the same template so that it, it all felt, uh, follows through. But man, that's tough. It's a lot of work. <laughs> that's also a recent development in these sort of design systems that are offered as libraries is that they now commonly come with like sort of figma assets or um, yeah. templates or I, I'm not a designer, so I can't use the right terms, but essentially that the tools and the files designers need to use these components in their mockups uh, yeah. and, and such and the, the assets that they provide. And that was one big thing that we were working on adding to Kendo UI because it's becoming table stakes that right, yeah, want totally. these because they their designers, whatever components you're building, well, your designers have to have access to to use and build with them, too, because they're the ones that are actually sort of creating the systems or uh, templating the systems that you're going to be building, too. Yeah, and it, it really helps to standardize the language across the development and the design teams. Like, if you can both say that you're using the same large input or you're, you know, doing this primary button or this secondary button it makes it so much easier for the developers, even if they don't have a high fidelity mock-up to be able to understand what the designers are talking about. Um, for Home Depot, we were a little bit more relaxed about what particular design system you chose based on what your team's framework was. But our design teams all had the same mantra and the same, and they all worked together, you know, meeting between the, just the designers to understand what is Home Depot's standards. You know, this is our brand orange. This is our right. expected yeah. padding or our, you know, headers must be at least this many pixels tall on all sites, stuff like that. So yes, having the executive team buy-in, but also having the design teams work across each other and talk to one another and not just work in silos with their particular, you know, development team is, I think, hugely important for everybody really getting consistent because designers if they're on their own they can definitely go and be special snowflakes and just like completely <laughs> recreate how they want some interaction to go yeah but if you exactly. have a whole yeah. governing board of designers 
you know, who are all building applications and all having to work with these, you know, figure out these interactions, it's going to be a lot more easy, I think, to get people to buy in and understand if you've got a group as a group saying, this is how we want buttons to, or this is how we want, you know, drawers to slide in or screens to change or, you know, whatever you want having them talk to one another and kind of come up with the best solution that fits a lot of different scenarios is probably going to be a lot better for you than everybody just doing their own thing. Yeah, I'm going to echo some of the same sentiments. I mean, what you both said is correct. And I think, unfortunately, in big companies and enterprises, politics is just sort of the part of the the deal, right? It's you just get a, get a lot of people on the same board. And that means that you're going to have to try to work with people come up with systems. And having executive friends can go a long ways because it's not only to get a design system in place that you have to have something like this, but it's also ongoing enforcement of it as well. Because mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Pete said, you're if designers aren't on board, then you're going to have the rogue designer. <laughs> You're going to have the rogue developer that's like, why would I use that? I'm just going to I'm just going to do this myself and th- and throw it out there. And unless, and unless there's somebody in QA or design to stop that, then a design system is only as good as it its actual enforcement and use. So you really have to have buy in or else it sort of under undermines the entire initiative. Yeah, totally. And, and when you're trying to pitch it, I would say, you know, pitch it in like business terms, you know, talk about the fact that your design system is going to save you time, which is money, right, to develop stuff. And it's going to make it so that later on, when you want to go and change whatever the primary orange color is or whatever, you do it once and yep. bada bing, bada boom. Everywhere. Right? And it, yeah. And it also reduces your exposure. I mean, the mm, company that I once worked for, like, you know, there were five sites that had carousels. I'll give you a quick question. Like how many, how many carousel implementations do you think we had? At least five. Yeah. At least (laughs) five, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, we had six because when we came up with a canonical carousel that was, I, it was accessible. Right. And then people didn't want to use it. You're like, God, God, but that's the thing you want to, It's an investment, right? Yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for button, right? Oh, okay, I get it. But still, I mean, you can still do things like have ES lint hints and things like that would say, hey, by the way, you know, on this image tag, you need an alt, you know, that kind of thing. Just make sure that that works, right? So even the little ones, there's still some value there or or the tab index or whatever, you know, like, yeah, you know, you just got to get focused. But you got to rally it around the numbers, I would say. I think that's going to be your best chance of getting this happening. Mm -hmm. So one thing that I encountered while I was working with a design system is it upgraded from, I think it was from version three to version four. And there were actually breaking changes that happened once you went to version four. Some things just were not backwards compatible as they improved the system. So how, how would you deal with that? I guess is a question because some people could be still using V3. Other teams may have bit the bullet and gone to V4. How do you, I mean, do you start to maintain two sets of standards or do you try to force everybody to upgrade to V4? What is your, what is your thinking around that? Well, these are hard regardless of what you're doing because um, it's going to come up with different framework versions, different you know backend technologies or whatever. I think, 
first of all, I think you do upgrade uh, because I think I've been in situations where you're poised with this sort of thing. And if you sleep on it, it tends to just make everything worse because over time, tech advances, eventually you're going to be not supported. Eventually, like you're going to have trouble finding answers on Stack Overflow and such. So I think you do have to go with the times and do the upgrade, bite the bullet. You don't have to jump on it right away, right? In fact, in enterprises, technically, you want to be a little bit cautious and a little Mm. bit behind the curve, but find the right time, do it. And I would say, yeah, put it out as a new version, encourage people to go to it. You might have to support multiple versions for a while. It's just, I think, a reality of enterprise software development. The idea that you're going to upgrade all your apps simultaneously, it's just not realistic. There's just no way it can happen. You might be able to do your important ones uh, at, at the start. But I would say create a new version. Make sure that it's not something that people immediately get, right? They have to upgrade to to, to do. Document exactly the steps that people need to take to do it. You know, Do it in one or two apps first try to find any sort of catches or any sort of weird things that you can find that other teams could find useful, document all of that. And then again, try to get executive buy-in that says, okay, we just released V5 of our design system with this important upgrade. Here's a doc with what you need to do, common problems, this sort of thing. You got to get it in there, right? Yeah. And if you have a few that linger behind, that's reality. Maybe you have to patch keep the old version around for a while, patch it from time to time. Uh, but that's the strategy that's worked for me and those sorts of, sorts of situations in the past. Yeah, I, it's interesting. MUI material UI, which I guess I just kind of call MUI all the time, uh, had this from four to five just recently. And they gave some automated tools that would help you do that, you know, to apply to a large code base. Didn't work at all, really, on my on the code base that I was trying to get going. <laughs> <Just kinda laughs> yeah, so, uh, but eventually it's going to have to happen. I mean, the reason that they did that big leap was that one, two, and three were kind of falling, or in four, I guess, were sort of falling behind. Like you had, like, I think that the, the reason that a couple of these upstart ones like Chakra and Mui and, and what was the other one, Andy, a couple of those existed is because they... Uh, they, they looked at Tailwind and they said, hey, that's pretty, I like this Tailwind thing. It's pretty cool. Like, I want to be able to put like, you know, on box, I want to be able to put like margin top, you know, five or whatever and have it work. And Mui just was like, nah, there's no way we can get there on our current framework. So we're just going to have to do a not reverse compatible big shift uh, from four to five. And I mean, if I look on NPM trends, you can actually see it's working actually like, Movie five is, is like taken off like gangbusters. So that hasn't killed them, but you know, it's, it's, it's going to happen. You're going to have those big shifts like that. Yeah. I mean, one thing you could do, although this can be overkill is you can wrap all of your sort of dependencies. So for example, like if you're using a material UI button, you don't necessarily X, you build your own layer, right? You build the, my company button, it wraps under the hood. It's just like invoking the material button, but mm-hmm. it has your wrapper. And the the advantage that gives you, it gives you some flexibility in the future to switch out to another library for part or all of your component library. It gives you the chance to build, like replace the button with something custom built. Um, so it gives you some flexibility. 
There's also some downsides, though, because if you're exposing just your own button, lots of times people are going to want to do small customizations. They're going to want to use the options that the framework provides. So it's hard to create something that's truly isolated from a dependency. But if you are building something you anticipate that's going to be around for a long time, you could consider wrapping them to give you at least some bit yeah. of flexibility in the future. Exactly. And you need to build up your custom components from the base components that you get from the toolkit. Like if you're building that custom scheduling thing, then, you know, get what you can out of the base toolkit and then go and kind of layer up on top of it. So you're still getting, you know, all the accessibility and anything else. And then also I would say, try and do it idiomatically. Like if the base framework if it's a, if they use render props, then use render props. You know, you don't want to. Uh, I mean, if they use, hey, give me a, give me a subcomponent, a child component, or whatever, and I'll throw that in here, kind of thing. If that's the way it works, then do that. You know, because you want to, you want it to feel like, oh, it's not this completely off the wall crazy thing. It's like, oh, this is kind of an extension of the toolkit. I oh, I would say kind of building on top of that, use Storybook. Oh my God, Storybook mm-hmm. is so good. Like, I, I'm just a huge yeah. fan of Storybook now. And then, woo, it's, it just keeps getting better and better and better, that thing. Yeah. For people that Storybook is a new reference, you want to explain, is. like, oh, sorry. what it is and why it would help, <laughs> like, uh, right, right. why it would help yeah. you. Yeah, why, why it would help I mean, you. it is pretty popular, but I think it there's, is. there's definitely some people listening it. to this that sure. this sure, sure, reference sure. or might not my bad, get my bad. why. Right. My bad. Okay, yeah. So, Storybook is a way where it is a is a tool that you can use that you can annotate your components with stories. And those stories are examples of how to use that component. Like if you've got like a button that's got like three different flavors, you could have three different examples of how to, you know, use that. And then you have a special like script, you know, script command that basically can launch or build a static version of Storybook. And then you get this just absolutely gorgeous UI that gives you all of the stories on the left-hand side, and then you can click on them, and you can see the components. You can there's a button row along the top that allows you to change like the form factor if you want to look at it, and it's like small, medium, large breakpoints. You can add on all these extra things. Like there's literally there's a performance tab where you can have it like render your component a thousand times, and you can get all the performance metrics of it takes this long to paint, and it takes this long to blah, 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 blah. It's like, whoa, this is amazing. And then they just keep on adding extra stuff. Um, I, I guess the other, if you compare it, there's another one called Style Guidest. But I think Style Guidest is sort of not not doing it. Yeah, they're, they're kind of tailing off where Storybook is great. It's not just for React, it's for View and also for a lot of them. But leads into another thing when we were talking about how to get buy-in for your component library. Another one is just documentation, which Storybook helps make possible. But you want developers at your company, if you want to convince them to use the thing, you want to make it easy to use. So having really good documentation on how to use the thing and will help convince people that, hey, this is something I want to use. This this makes sense. This is logical. And Storybook well, and, definitely And it's good that. for... It's good for designers and developers. That's the thing is if your designers, you know, if you have a some kind of a storybook route that your designers can go to and they can see all the different components that your application is using and the different props that can be passed in or the, the, you know, just the knobs and buttons that you can turn and tweak to see these different component 
states like a button that's disabled or a button that's loading or a button that's just waiting to be clicked. It's really helpful in that regard as well. Technical issue there. We've lost Paige Niedringhaus. Very sad. She needs a better link. Like, I know. <laughs> but anyway, that actually, yeah, I think we've talked a ton about this. So should we should we do our picks and wrap it up? Yeah. And again, if you want to talk about any of this stuff about design systems, feel free to hop into our Discord. Oh, As yes, you can see, please. We, we have lots of opinions. Uh, so if, if you're in a situation where you're considering this sort of thing at your company or maybe you've run into some problems, uh, we'd love to give your perspective on this as well. So it's not just us chatting away at this. So feel free to to drop in and we can chat. And Discord takes less bandwidth. So Paige will be able to <laughs> actually talk to you there as well. So that's good too. Yep. All right. Well, hey, maybe we have Paige back or not. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Okay. <laughs> well, TJ, you want to start us off with the first pick? Yeah, I can take the first pick. So I'm going to pick uh, heated uh, heated blankets. Ooh. So I was very skeptical. I And, and I'm not going to pick like one in particular, just because I we've, we actually own two of them now and they're fine. So I imagine anyone you get just, just randomly is going to probably work. But I was very skeptical just because we... We already have way too many blankets at our house. My <laughs> wife might have a small problem uh, collecting those things. But I have to say, it. I was I was skeptical, and now I've become sort of addicted. Just the ability to warm up on a cold night or keep it off if it's warm enough. Like, having some control over that is super nice. So I feel it's very posh now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if you, especially if you live someplace cold like I do, or a place that gets cold for a large portion of the year, I'd recommend getting one. And again, I don't think the specific one matters. Just try it out and see if it helps you out, makes you makes you more comfy. All right, you need to graduate to the heated under uh, or heated mattress. Like this is oh. like it's a layer you put on top of your bed that is basically an electric blanket. And this is yeah, uh. in cold weather climates. So yeah, this this is the this is the bomb. And oh my god, it, you know you put you have the blankets up on top of that, and then about an hour before you go to bed, you kind of turn it on, and you get in there and you get like into this. This burrito kind of thing right between the, the under blanket and the blanket. And it's just all warm. And you're like, oh, that's so oh, man. Good. I don't think I can allow my looking at the prices of some of these. I don't think I can let my <laughs> wife see these because <laughs> we're going to install a $5,000 custom heating solution in our bed. <laughs> yeah. And then you're going to get into like the uh, what is it? The bathroom floor where you can get the heated subtitles. Oh, and stuff. oh, oh yeah. my God. That's crazy. Radiant heat. Uh, yeah. I'm yeah, I'm looking I'm looking oh. at Casper.com at the Wave Hybrid Snow Mattress System with snow oh, technology Lord. that's going for thirty four hundred dollars. <laughs> okay, so. well, okay, oh, I don't know about that. We don't have that. <laughs> what we have is we ha- we we just have like a, a thing that goes on top of the existing mattress. Yeah, that I think that's the thing. And that, that, that way you can take it off in <laughs> in the summer because in the summer you're like baking. You don't want that. So right. yeah. Hey, Paige, Rick. Awesome. I know. So you have a pick I for hope, us this week? I hope that I'm here and you can hear me. Okay. Paige's pick this week is a good connection it, to the it's internet. A better, and, the better, yeah. and the importance of it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, better internet. Like. Her pick is not her internet service provider this week. <laughs> no kidding. Oh. Uh, I'm going to give you one guess as to what her provider is. and probably starts with a C and good Paige, if, if you type your pick into the chat, we'll give it a glowing, uh, yeah, right, exactly. glowing display. I'm so. guessing it's not gonna be <laughs> ATT or whatever it is. 
<laughs> Comcast. Okay, so my pick this week, I got a, a Lego Land Rover that I've been building, and it's it, it is oh, a yeah, it's a a it is the most complicated thing in Lego I think I've ever built. It is and crazy, and it, it's so complicated that they actually had to put in like an AR app. That at one point when you're trying to fuse like the front section and the back section together, like you can actually like bring it up on your phone and point it at the model and get all the alignments right and stuff. It's oh, insanity. that's crazy. It's like the level to which Lego has 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 gone out the moon is just amazing. Huh. Anyway. All right. <laughs> so, Paige, you want one more track at it? Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. We can. Okay. Sorry, Sorry about yes, that, go. everybody. So I'll no. I'll get this out quickly. My pick is going to be magnetized screwdrivers, which I've been doing quite a bit of uh, screwing and unscrewing of IoT objects this week. And having a magnetized tip of the screwdriver when you're trying to deal with tiny little screws has been extremely helpful in putting them back back together, getting them out it's really been a massive saver of of my sanity. Yes, TJ's got one that he's TJ's holding explained. up his magnetized okay. screwdriver. Yes. So you can Did get, you get one. A whole set? Yes. I have a whole set of them. They're okay. you know very cheap on Amazon. You can get as many or as few as you want, and it's been great. So I would highly recommend that. Yeah. Another thing, you, you sometimes you can get like a magnet on a stick, and that that when you lose the screws, yeah. right? <laughs> then you can kind of just get down in there because they're always in like some crazy place you know oh yeah <laughs> and uh and get it get it done cool well this has been really fun i you know i this is awesome we talked about react 18 we talked about design systems and uh had a great panelist episode all right well should we say goodbye see you next week yeah thanks everybody see you then bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn deliver your content fast with cashfly visit c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com to learn more